some of you have nothing you ha have going on this summer. And I would recommend for you to go work at a camp where you get to love Jesus, you get to tell people about Jesus, and you get to serve kids and love them. I did that my first summer uh, after my freshman year, and then again my, the summer after my sophomore year, and it was incredible, it was fun. And yeah, the kids had a good time, but my heart was changed. And so tonight, if you wanna talk to our friend that's here, please do it, ask questions, and do it. And if you're going on a summer mission trip, praise God, they might even let you take time off to go to that too. So just because you're going on a trip doesn't mean you can't do it. But cool. Hey, worship team was awesome, right? I noticed four studs on the team and then three wonderful women. Thank you all so much for leading us tonight in worship. Really, really appreciate you all. Last week, we got to hear from Matt Marlin. Wasn't he incredible? Now you're all going to Mozambique to be missionaries? Maybe. Who knows? But what were some of his points or what were his tips for spiritual growth? There were five things. Shout them out. Practice the presence of God was kind of the overall thing. What was one? Turn your inner monologue into a dialogue. Woo! What was another one? Yes. Lightning prayers. Prayer and action. Good job. Surrounded by the presence of God. And this, did I hear the first one? Remove distractions. Did anyone do that this past week? And take some efforts. Good job. Good job. Those five things, weren't those so good? They're powerful. They're powerful and absolutely necessary. Now tonight, there's a specific topic we're going to be talking about, and it's perhaps the very foundation of biblical Christianity. It goes out to the very roots of everything we believe. Churches and Christians go way off the rails when they miss this one thing of God's character. Let me ask you again, if you had to sum up God's character in one word, what would it be? One word, what would you say? Shout it out. Just? What else? Good. I heard love. What else? Holy. Yes. What's that? Faith. There's a lot of different words we could use, but there's one that reigns supreme. And John writes about it. It says this in 1 John. God is love. God is love. Thank God for love, right? Amen. There's a lot of different examples for love. Harry Potter, I'm pretty sure, like, at the very end, you find out that the ultimate power is love. Like, they have all the cool spells, and I don't know. They just have all their stuff. Uh-oh, Jordan's getting triggered. But, but that's okay. I'm pretty sure people throw out love a lot. But love really is the ultimate thing. It's dear to God's heart, his character, and we have benefited from it amazingly. Praise God. But this week... We're going to be back in our sermon series on the book of Ephesians, and specifically, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it, or we're going to have slides up here. And normally, I read scripture before I pray, but let's pray before we read. Sound good? Lord Jesus, we need to hear from you tonight. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. You are, you are Lord 
and we need to hear from you. Lord, I ask that this passage of Scripture, the things that we're going to be talking about tonight, Lord, I ask that you would make it come to life for us, and that, God, that we would walk in it knowing that it's true and it's real, and you are with us, and you will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you, Jesus, that you love us, and we love you back. Amen. Amen. So tonight, Ephesians 3, 14, and let me read it for us. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is a prayer that Paul wrote for the church in Ephesus. He wrote, he wrote it for them and it applies to us. But do you wish you had someone praying for you like this? that you had someone praying this over you, that you could comprehend the width and length and depth and height of God's love, that you would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Do y'all know what that means, passes knowledge? It means that you would know the love of God that you can't know. It's unknowable. It's so much that you are not capable of understanding it. And that's what Paul's praying over the church in Ephesus that you would know more and more and more than you could possibly know. I want that prayed over me. I want to know even more how much more God loves me than I know already. I want to know God's, the depths of God's love for me, the height and width and length of it all, the dimensions of God's love for me, even though I can't know it all. F.W. Borum has a book with a sermon in it that are both called the whisper of God. And in it, he describes how we have only heard a whisper of God. We've only seen a little bit. And it's already amazing and awe-inspiring. And there's so much more. He says, we've seen the kernel. We haven't even gotten to the, the inner bit of who God is. That there's so much more of him that we still don't know. And something it's kind of, a, I think, a misconception a lot of people have about God and his love for us. And it was that he was lonely. And so he created mankind to fill that loneliness in his life. He's like, I just need somebody to love me back, so I'll create them. But that's not true. Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, have perfect fellowship with one another. They're united. They're talking. They're, they're laughing together. They're, they're, it, it's they, but it's God. And there's perfect fellowship and perfect love within the three of them. And let me ask you, why does a couple, a married couple, who both love one another, why do they choose to have a baby? To love it? Yeah. Were they, did they need to have a baby? Were they incomplete without the baby? No. It, they, they were whole. They were two together who loved one another. And they didn't need the baby but they had room in their hearts to love even more. And so they said, we want to, together, we want to add someone to this mix. And we want someone else to come in and share this with us. And the same is true with God. He had room in his heart 
to love even more. For each and every single one of us in this room and everyone on this planet. So God created mankind and he loves us dearly, more than we could ever know. And I already, I already have so much to be grateful for, we all do, for God and the love he has for us. To know more would only produce more gratitude, more thanks. And remember this saying, gratitude keeps you close to God. Ingratitude is always the first step away from him. But gratitude keeps you close to God. And ingratitude will take you away from him. And one of the greatest things in life that we get to be grateful for is to be part of a community here that loves one another. Praise God for it. Thank you for being part of it. What we have here at Sam Houston is very rare, and it's valuable, it's precious. I've witnessed not only my life be radically changed, but I know dozens of others, and I've heard hundreds of others, thousands of others. Why? Because a few people did what God told them to do and lived out John 13, 35, which says this, by this all will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Some people did that. They loved each other and said, we're going to love this campus. We're going to fight for this campus. And here we are. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And here's our first point for tonight. Point number one. Are you all ready? This is the points about God's love. God's love pursues. God's love pursues. It chases. It's active. You see, God has been pursuing you, and he has always loved you. From the time he formed you in the womb of your mom all the way to now, he has been pursuing you, wanting to be in your life and to see you turn and love him back. You might be able, like I can, to look back in your life and see where God has intervened for you. I know I can. I can see it. When I was about to be born, uh, my father decided he wanted to take my mom to have an abortion. This is a man I've never met. And from what I understand, he already had another kid with someone else. And he didn't want to have to pay child support for a second baby. But my mom loved me. And she knew that this was wrong, and she decided to keep me, even though it was very difficult for her and very inconvenient. And now I get to say thank you, Jesus, and thanks to my mom for every day for life. Because I, have, I get to live. Praise God. And I can see that God loved me then. Before I was even born, he was watching out for me. And I could see later in life, I grew up in kind of a rough household. My mom was wonderful. She had six kids. And it was just, there was tension. There was like three bedrooms and six people, or eight. So there was a lot happening. In school, I wasn't the best student. In fact, I failed, I think, I had seven classes in one, one year. I failed five of them all at once, and then I failed two classes every six weeks for the whole year. So I just wasn't great. It was my freshman year, so it actually affected my GPA. And at the time, I didn't think I was going to go to college. Uh, I was like number 48 out of 52 people in my class. Not good. But things turned around. Sophomore, junior, senior year of high school, it got a lot better. But what I was ready to do was I was actually going to enlist in the Marine Corps. That's what I was gonna do, because I wanted to get as far away from home as possible. I wanted to see the world, and I wanted to just go. And they seemed like the coolest military branch. At the time, that's what I thought. I don't know, I have no bias now, but at the time, yeah. But the night before the recruiter was gonna take me to Houston, 
And he was like, hey, you don't have to swear in. We're just going to do the physical. You might have to sign some forms, but I don't know. I, I knew what he was actually asking me to do. He was, I was going to become part of the Marines if I went. And at night, I remember this voice speaking to me. I said, Trevor, I have something else for you. And I didn't know what that voice was. I didn't know. I realize now it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I realized God did have something for me. So I called the recruiter, gave him the worst news of his day. and told him I actually wasn't going to go. And I was actually going to apply to Sam Houston first and see what happened. Well, I got in. Praise Jesus. Harvard of the South. We made it. Um, even though I, I failed almost everything my freshman year in high school. But made it here. The Lord redeems. That'll preach. In my first night on campus, I met this girl named Christina Pryor, now Christina Winters, who is now, she, she was on staff here. She actually went to plant Chi Alpha or help plant Chi Alpha at New Mexico State University. She's now on our national staff of Chi Alpha in Springfield, Missouri. She's corporate, so like, <laughs> she's a big deal. But I met her because she was friends with my roommate. And she told me about Chi Alpha people that same day, that they were playing capture the flag in the mall area. And that sounded awesome, so I went. Who else was met through Capture the Flag? Anyone? Lisa said yes. No, Lisa was kidding. I was really hoping somebody was going to be here from that. Anyways, it was awesome. It was like 500 people throwing socks full of flour at each other through the mall area. It was awesome. And I was like, I'm in. If these are Christians and they have fun, I'm with them. And we do. We have more fun on accident than a lot of other people have on purpose. But I can see through high school and coming to college that God loved me and he was setting things up for me to be in right community. You see that God's love pursues us. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love and therefore with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You see, most religions are man's quest to find God. But in Christianity, we have God who is pursuing us. We have Jesus who came to this earth. He left heaven and his spot next to the Father to find us, to pursue us. Isn't that wonderful? Let me ask you another question. Where's the most beautiful place you've ever been? Shout it out. Most beautiful place. Hawaii? India? Romania? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Calveston. Well, let me tell you this. Most beautiful place in the world I've ever been was this place in England called Cornwall. Why? I think I have a picture of it. That's, it's beautiful. It's, let me tell you, well, hold on. This is Google, but because my phone at the time couldn't take good pictures like this, but I can tell you right now, this cliff, I was here. This woman took us up on this cliff. She made steaks for us. We had honeycomb ice cream. And I got to watch some guy parasailing down in the sky to land on the beach. This is awesome. And this is actually a place called Trebarwith. It's about five minutes from Camelford, which is where we were serving a church. And this place is pretty much the Shire in reality. The people were wonderful. They have incredible coffee and tea. The, the beach was gorgeous. 
I got to go surfing, and that was awesome. There's a Peckish Fish and Chips. It was awesome, like, restaurant there. Loads of history. There was actually a castle that they think was Camelot. This is, you can look it up. This Camelot, Camelford. There's a lot happening. A majority of the authors that I read are from England, and it just, it, it all came to life for me. This was and is paradise. And I would love to go back sometime soon, but not on my own. I want to go back, but not on my own. So why would I not want to go back by myself to essentially paradise? Because paradise isn't paradise without the ones you love. And maybe one day I'll get to take my wonderful wife Patricia there, and maybe even our soon-to-be-born baby. We'll see. So let me ask, let me ask another question. Why would Jesus leave heaven and come to this earth, earth and live the life he lived and die the way that he did? Why? Because heaven isn't heaven without you. Because heaven isn't heaven without you. Remember God's love, it's active, it chases. And yes, there are nearly 8 billion people in this world. But let me tell you, Jesus came for each and every single one of you. And he came for me and for all 8 billion people that are out in this world. And every student on this campus and every professor, every staff member, Every person that works on this campus and is on this campus, God died for them and he loves them valuably. God's love pursues. Point number two, God's love serves. God's love serves. You see, true love is about giving, not taking. For me, before giving my heart to Jesus, love was just sort of emotion or feeling and what I got out of something. It's what I got out of a relationship more than what I had to give. But Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We see that true love is selfless, not selfish. God's love is not about what he can get from you, but what he can give to you. There's a big difference between those two, aren't there? You see, in true love, in in Christian love, God's love, it's not just about relentlessly pursuing people, but it's also selflessly serving others, which isn't always an easy thing to do. It can be quite inconvenient. You see, there's going to be somebody in your life, a guy or girl who you love and care about, who's going to need help changing a tire or getting their car started in the middle of the night. The major life problems or crises people face rarely occur between the normal business hours, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. There's going to be some late-night talks. There's going to be somebody, a guy or girl in your life, who needs someone to pray over them, to come and listen to them, to meet them where they're at, and minister to them and show them the love of God. It takes sacrifice when we serve. Um, I told you about high school, so let me tell you about college. I was going to graduate college. My ceremony was at 9 a.m., which meant I really needed to get up at like 7 a.m. to make it to like the orientation thing that they do at 7.30. And I was hanging out with friends late that night. I had a bunch of stuff going on. And I got a text from one of the guys that had been coming to my small group. I'll just say his name was Joe. And Joe texted me and said, hey, I, 
I need you to come meet me where I'm at. Uh, I'm not doing good. And he was at the gazebo by Pritchett Field. And so I drove over there, and this is like 1 o'clock in the morning. And I get there, and there's three guys with him from the ROTC program that he was in with. And I can tell that he's drunk. And these guys are crying with him, begging him not to commit suicide. And they're, they're talking with him. And I went, I kind of just introduced myself and sat down and was silent with him for about an hour and a half. These three guys were crying. They kept saying the same thing over and over again. And this guy was like, no, I'm, I don't want to live anymore. And I just sat there and listened, and I was just praying, talking to God. And time is going on and going on and going on. And finally, he's like, listen, y'all have said enough. I want to hear what he has to say. And I didn't know what to say. But I said, hey, Joe, I love you, and God loves you. And I really think you need to go to bed. And I think you should come with me and come stay the night at my house. And he came with me. I ended up running to Walmart because at the time Walmart was still 24 hours. <laughs> and I grabbed some stuff for the graduation party we were going to have tomorrow with my family coming. And he came home and we talked a little bit more and he slept on my couch. And he's still alive today. I don't know if he walks with Jesus, but I can tell you that love serves even if it's inconvenient. And it was one of those moments where I just had to just sort of, it was inconvenient. My graduation was coming. I knew I had a lot going on. My family was coming, and that's stressful. But I knew, like, this is worth it for Jesus. And, and praise God for it. It reminds me of Sam Houston's motto, a measure of a life is its service. Henry Drummond is an old Scottish author during the 19th century who wrote this essay called The Greatest Thing in the World. I think all of you have to read it. If you Google it, you can find it. We have copies at the Kava House that you can check out. You can find this. It is so good. Every Christian should have to read it, I think. But it's a commentary on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in it, he wrote about how love was the fulfillment of God's Ten Commandments and all the other laws that he gave. We also see in Matthew chapter 22... Jesus commanded us not only to love God with everything that we have, but also to love our neighbors as ourselves. And on those two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love is a fulfillment of all of God's laws. You see, in English, we have the word love that we use in a lot of different ways. Well, the Bible, I can tell you, is, is written in Greek. And Greek has a number of different ways of saying love. In English, I can say, I love hamburgers, and then say, I love my wife. But I mean two very different things by that. But let me tell you, in Greek, there's four words for love. There's eros, the erotic love or romantic love. It's like Zach Walker declaring his love for Jewel. Amen? I forgot to ask if I could, do, if I could say that. Then there's phileo love, or brotherly love, which is why the city of Philadelphia has a special nickname, which is? The city of brotherly love. That's right. But did you know that there's actually another city, a biblical city of Philadelphia? And I've actually gotten to go there. It's actually now called Amman, Jordan. But it's pretty cool. But in the Bible, it says Philadelphia. And let me tell you, they weren't going to Pennsylvania. Like, at the time, it was... It was in Jordan. There's another word, a Greek word for love, which is storge, 
which is like affection, like that of a mother with her baby. And then there's agape love, this wonderful, unselfish benevolence. It's the deep love that God has for each and every single one of us. It's unselfish. And we have another way of describing it in Chi Alpha. We say this, love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of God and his kingdom. Love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of God and his kingdom. I like to think of that as our legal definition for love. There's Malcolm Muggeridge, a British journalist, who wrote this incredible biography about Mother Teresa called Something Beautiful for God. And in it, he tells the story of Mother Teresa walking, going through the city of Calcutta, and she finds this dying leper. It's, you see, leprosy is terrible. It's a person that's alive with rotting flesh, with pus coming out of sores. It's bad. But she sees the leper, and she goes, and she holds him. And it's just holding him. And Malcolm Muggeridge is standing there, and he whispers under his breath, sort of in his jacket, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And she overheard him and looked right at him and said, neither would I, but I'll do it for Jesus. See, God's love serves. Point number three, God's love fights. God's love fights. This seems like a strange one, right? Let me tell you, God's love is not weak. I can't help but think of God fighting for love as the same thing as at the, the end of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when Aslan chases down the witch. I mean, he got her. But Aslan fought to protect that which he loved. He wasn't weak. It was, he was, there was power behind his love, what he cared about. And let me tell you, there's a major difference between tolerance and love. The world that we live in would tell you to be tolerant of everyone and their life choices. Let someone do what they want to do, and you stay out of the way and do what you want. And we don't want to be mean or cruel, but sometimes love means standing firm with people and not letting them make dumb choices. I mean, think of a mom who loves her baby. She's probably the most intolerant person ever, especially when that child is a baby who wants something that, that isn't good or safe for it. Imagine there's a fireplace and the baby's like crawling to the fireplace and wants to get in. And the baby's like, well, the mom's like, well, that's what the baby wants, so I'm not going to get in the way. That's evil. No, the mom's going to say, don't do that. Stop. And I know my mom has loved me through a lot. And I got in trouble a lot. Mostly, she, she, I got in trouble with her because she needed to correct me and to keep me from messing with my younger siblings. I remember one time, you used to call me a bully, this is going to be bad. I remember one time I got in trouble with her for hitting my younger brother, Robert. You see, Robert, if you ever meet him, he's shorter than me, red hair, and he talks a lot. Like, I'm actually not that much of a talker. I'm kind of introverted. Robert's the opposite. And even from birth, it's like he started talking the fastest out of everybody. Like, he just, he talked. Any of y'all know what if you're younger sibling? You're the youngest, though. Who's annoyed with your younger sibling? Jordan, no offense, you probably were the annoying younger sibling. <laughs> yeah. But I remember this one particular time, Robert was running his mouth, and he was being a real jerk to me. Like, he was being mean, even though he's younger. And I remember I, I, I just wanted to scare him by punching at him and stopping. Because I saw it in a movie, and I thought it looked cool. And I, I went for it, 
and I wasn't capable of stopping, and I just punched him square in the forehead. And I, I think back to this memory, and I remember the room, because I also remember my older brother just sitting there like, what did you do? Like, freaking out. And I know this is when we lived in Houston, and we moved out of Houston when I was seven, and I'm four years older than Robert, so at best, I punched a three-year-old in the forehead. <laughs> I might have been six, and he might have been two. I can't remember. But don't worry. It's all good. Robert's doing well in life. He just has a few things wrong with him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He is fine. But let me tell you, I got spanked, and I deserved it. Yes. And I got in trouble with my mom often because ultimately, she didn't want me to ruin my life or to be stupid with the decisions I had, had to make in life. You see, the more you care about someone, the less tolerant you become when they're making foolish decisions. The less I care about someone, the easier it is for me to be tolerant of the things someone chooses for their life. But the more deeply you care about someone, the least likely you'll, the least you, you won't let them throw away their life. It's the mindset of, over my dead body, am I going to let you live a stupid and selfish life? Over my dead body, am I going to let you live a stupid and selfish life? But how do we fight in this? Because we can't just go around and punch everybody just because they do something dumb that we don't like. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. We as Christians, we don't fight with weapons that are physical or with our fists. There might be a time for something like that. But we pray, and we intercede, and we follow the example of Epaphras. God's love fights for others in that it wrestles in prayer for those who are lost. I remember one time showing up to, for a small group a couple hours early to my small group leader's house, and I'd walked into his house, and I'm looking around. No one's there. And I'm walking around, and I'm looking for John, our small, my small group leader, and I go into the kitchen, and his bedroom door's open, and I could see him on his knees praying. And I could hear him praying for me and for Daniel and for Sean and for Eric that we would know God, that we would walk with God all the days of our lives. And John was fighting for me in prayer because he loved me and he cared about me, that we would know God and we would walk with him, just like Paul did for the church of, of, of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. You see, God's love fights, and we must fight too in prayer and in love. Point number four, love lasts. Who here has ever been to a wedding? I have been a groomsman in about 15, 16 weddings. Actually, I think it's like 18 or 19. I've now, um, what is it called? Officiated four weddings. I know, I'm flexing so hard. Uh, but I've also had my own wedding. The biggest flex of all. Uh, in December of 2018, I married a beautiful woman named Patricia. Hey. But something I've found in the past, before your wedding, is that you can't help but, when you go to someone's wedding, you can't help but wonder what your wedding's going to be like. You're like, what's mine going to be like? What's going to happen? I don't know. But then, after your wedding, you can't help when you go to someone else's wedding, but remember your own. But why are weddings such a big deal? Why? Because when two people 
or choosing one another over anyone else, and giving vows to cherish one another and to love one another through sickness and health, the good times and the bad, it's a reflection of the, the love that God has for us. It's like my friend Chris Scroggins says, it's a physical moment, a spiritual reality in a physical moment. And let me tell you, like, it's beautiful. And I'll say this, the love this world offers, it's fleeting, it's temporary, and ultimately, it's self-serving. It's like Romeo and Juliet or Jack and Rose. Have you ever noticed their names start with the same letters, just flipped? Yeah. But God's love is eternal. <laughs> Lisa and Sophia thought that was incredible. Sorry. Sorry, just Sophia. But let me tell you, God's love is eternal. It's covenant love. It doesn't give up or run away when life gets hard. It finds room on the door for both of you to float on. <laughs> I do what I can. Paul writes, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It means God's love is forever. And it means he will not leave you or forsake you. He will be faithful to love you. And this is the kind of love God is wanting us to have for our lost brothers and sisters in this world. It's a love that endures. It's one that lasts. Point number five. This is my last point. God's love transforms. You see, it changes everything it touches. I asked before what was the most beautiful place you'd ever been. Now I want to know what's the ugliest place you've ever been. Nacogdoches, SFA's campus though. Anywhere else? Pasadena, Dallas, Austin. Dallas. Okay, Pat, Patricia and I went to New Orleans one time and we were very not impressed. Sorry, Romania. I remember being in Cairo and the, one of the missionaries took us into some of the, we were like, I thought we were in the poor area. He took us to the poor area in town. And it changed my perspective. Yeah, you've seen it. And I just remember walking through the streets, like, the street was like, no, there's a, hall, a wall here with, with doors into their house and in here, another wall. Like, this is a street. And we're walking, and I'm like, man, it smells really bad. Like, it's bad. And then we walk, like, kind of around a corner, and there's, like, 50 chickens, cows, sheep, goats, like, in, like, a, the size of, like, someone's living room, like, just there, like, on top of each other. And it was, like, these are their houses and places. And, I don't know, it, it was dirty, but at the same time, I remember it very vividly. But I have an example that kind of works well. You see, I grew up in a small town called Anderson. It's about t and about 10 minutes away was this other town called Navasota. Anyone heard of Navasota? Yeah. It, it has recently <laughs> become kind of a nice town to drive through. They've done a lot of work on it. But for a long time, the locals called it Nasty Soda. And it kind of just was this dirty town. I don't know. It just, that's what it seemed like. But also, fun fact, Chuck Norris has a ranch right outside of town. 
I've never seen him, but a lot of other people said they did, so. <laughs> G.K. Chesterton has a book called Orthodoxy, and in it he talks about two cities, Rome and Pimlico. And in it he talks about how Rome wasn't loved because it was great, that it was great because it was loved. And he said if someone would love Pimlico, he calls it a terrible place, then it would become beautiful and wonderful like Florence, like Florence, Italy. And that's something that I've noticed with Navasota. It seems like people have loved it. It's actually not that bad to drive through and go visit. Like, I don't know, last time I went through there for an LTC retreat, I was blown away by actually how nice it had become. But let me tell you this, when you see someone or something that is ugly on the inside, it's because that thing or person hasn't been touched by the love of God. Because God's love is transformational. And we say this, a, th- a thing must be loved before it can become lovable. A person must be loved before he or she can become lovable. It was true for me, and it was true for you, and it's true for every person on this planet. And it leads us back to that first point, that God's love chases and it pursues, and it doesn't give up to the object it's chasing. The person it's chasing has been transformed to look more like God. See, God's love pursues and it transforms. And there's a work that needs to be done on our part. You see, these qualities, these five things of God's love, they're his. God's love pursues, it serves, it fights, it lasts, and it transforms. These qualities of his, they're his, but he's bestowed them on us and asked us to do the same for our neighbors. Jesus commanded it. And it isn't always easy, and it takes work. Now, I talked about Henry Drummond's The Greatest Thing in the World earlier. And I'm going to read a very short passage in it. Is that okay? He says this about growing in love. What makes a man a good cricketer? A player of cricket. Practice. What makes a man a good artist? A good sculptor. A good musician. Practice. What makes a man a good linguist? A good stenographer. Practice. What makes a man a good man? Practice. Nothing else. There is nothing capricious about religion. We do not get the soul in different ways, under different laws, from those in which we get the body and the mind. If a man does not exercise his arm, he develops no bicep muscle. If a man does not exercise his soul, he acquires no muscle in his soul, no strength of character, no vigor or moral fiber, no beauty of spiritual growth. Love is not a thing of enthusiastic emotion. It's a rich, strong, manly, vigorous expression of the whole round Christian character, the Christ-like nature in its fullest development, and the constitutes of this great character are only to be built up by ceaseless practice. Let me tell you this. If you find yourself lacking in love, then practice it. Find ways of serving others and being kind to them. You should pray for the people that are difficult for you to, to love. How wonderful it is to pray for the people who annoy you or irritate you. And it isn't always easy. But we say that love finds a need and meets it. Look for people's needs. Try to find ways to meet those needs for them. And if you will learn to love others as Christ has, I promise it will be powerful for them, but also for you, to learn to love people the way Jesus did. And we must model what it means to love God and love one another here at Sam Houston Chi Alpha. It takes work. When I came here and joined Chi Alpha, I found this community that loved God and loved one another. It struck me deeply. And it's been incredible to be a part of this group and to be loved and to get to love others through it.
and be around. It's been good and I'm grateful for it, but I need to continue to show the love of Jesus in everything I do. Worship team, you guys can come back up here. There's a story of a, a painter who asked Leo Tolstoy, this, Russian, this famous Russian author, to come and look at his painting of Jesus at the Last Supper. And he has Tolstoy come and look at the painting, and Tolstoy's looking at it, and he's like, well, what do you think? Do you like my painting? And Tolstoy, is, in the story, said he pointed at Jesus in the center of the picture and said, you don't love him. And the, author, or the, the artist was like, confused, taken aback, like, what do you mean I don't love him? It's a painting. And Tolstoy responded, if you loved him, you would paint him better. Ooh. And let me tell you, what we're called to do in life is to paint Jesus well, to paint Jesus better with our lives, with our actions, with our words, how we love one another. We must represent Jesus well. And can we do it better than maybe we've done in the past? I think so. I think I can. As I've been writing the sermon, I've been challenged by it. Can I love the people around me better than I have been? Can I pray for them? Can I fight for them the way my small group leader fought for me? Can our lives and the way that we live give glory to God and make it clear to the people around us that we really do love God and love one another? Can we show people that we really do love God and that we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves? Can we pray for Jesus to help us to love and expect him to help like he has done so faithfully in the past? One last question. Can we pray for others like Paul did in Ephesians chapter 3 and pray that they would also know the love of Christ, the love which passes knowledge? Can we do that? Can we go and pray and pray and pray? so that people might know the love of Jesus? And can we share it and live it out and walk in it in our small groups, with our roommates, with our classmates, with our coworkers? Can we represent Jesus well? And ultimately, can we just be close to Jesus and love him well? The best thing you can do is to read your Bible, know him intimately, and to pray and talk to him and just spend time with Jesus. And when you do that and you pray for the people around you, your heart's going to grow, and it's going to be good. Tonight, worship's going to happen. These altars are open, and you can come to the side of the room or to the front, and you can pray, and you can meet with Jesus, and you can begin to ask God, Lord, where have I failed to show your love well? And Lord, how can I do this different in the future? What needs to happen? God, would you speak to me? And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. He loves you. And he's giving you some commands, and he wants to help you walk in them. So can we do that? Let me pray for us now. But after I'm done, worship, y'all can start. And you guys are welcome to come to the altar to pray. There might be some of you who really do need to, you need to, and you need to talk to God. Let me pray now. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, right now, God, I ask that you would meet every guy and girl in this room. And Lord, you would show them how much you love them, how much you value them. And Lord, you would show them how to walk with you, how to love like you loved. We love you, Jesus. We're so grateful for you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being a God who loves and cares for us, who pursues us, who serves us, who fights for us, God, that you have seen our lives transformed, and God, you're never giving up.
Thank you, Lord, for being faithful, even when, we, when, when I've been faithless and I've given up, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Would you come and be with us? Amen.